Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. I'm Rod. And you're listening to Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. Welcome to another episode of Just One More Thing. As always, um, if you have any questions or comments or anything that you would like for us to cover, email ask, A-S-K, at isunrise.org, and we will be sure to try to answer those questions or cover those comments as best as we can. Today, we are covering the January 8th sermon, Scattered for a Season. This kicked off our series in 1 Peter. And I know you had mentioned to me that First Peter was kind of, it, it kind of came to you last minute as far as that this would be the next series that we do. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose to start the year off with this series? Yeah, welcome to a new year. So, um, you know, uh, I had begun the year, our January 1st sermon was uh, around being uh, not only sheep, among wolves, but the concept of being sent uh, from the shepherd. Jesus sends us as sheep among wolves. And so that message got a lot of uh, positive response. And I began asking myself, you know, what kind of encouragement do the sheep need as they live among wolves? And so um, I'd been toying with other other ideas, Hebrews I've been toying with for a couple of years now. And uh, just reading through First Peter really solidified this more closely aligns with the situation that we're facing. Uh, and I think that's going to develop and unfold. It's a word of hope, a word of encouragement to the sheep who are in places that uh, are culturally very different from what they would uh, would have chosen. And I think today we live in a, a time at a time— uh, to where we could never have imagined the culture and and the challenges that are out there. How do we address that? How do we, number one, our responsibility to to address the culture, but number two, how do we stay sane and confident and hopeful in such an environment? You know, uh, Peter identifies them as exiles. He identifies them as strangers. I think the New American Standard says strangers. The NIV says exiles. Some of your translations say sojourners. It's the idea that we are out of place. It's not home. And that's why uh, I use that illustration about whenever we travel and go to a hotel and we're only there for a short, short time, you know, do we unpack everything and pack it away and make ourselves at home? Or do we recognize the the fact that we're only going to be there a short time. And so what I was trying to, uh, in the in the message, what I was trying to convey is the temporary nature of, of our time here. And while we are sent, we are strangers, we are exiles, uh, we are sojourners, I think Peter is conveying that idea. He really wants to set that in their hearts because that will prevent disappointments. When things don't happen the way we think they should happen, we need to remember, oh, I'm a stranger here. I'm an exile here. I'm uh, I'm a sojourner. Because for the readers of this letter, they were Jewish believers. They understood at the, at the emotional level what it was like to be outside of the land. And so these, this letter is written to people who are outside of the land, but they're in areas that are uh, hostile to anything Jewish or uh, Christian at at the time. 
So with that, a, a point of clarification, perhaps, because there is the option when you know that someplace is not your home or that it's temporary, there's an option to be passive, to not engage with anything. So, for example, you could have gone to Gordon Conwell and just stayed in the library for three months and you could have not traveled around. You could have stayed in that area and not gone to other states or done weekend trips or engage with the people like we've spoken about before. Um, but even though it was temporary, you chose to make the most of where you were and engage in that moment. So can you clarify a little bit about what it, what Peter's going for when he talks about them not being of that world? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think about when you ask the question, I'm thinking about the restaurant owners. There were two restaurant owners. I engaged with, had conversations with. Um, You know, I think on the one hand, what Peter's doing is he's trying to console and encourage the people where they are, that they have not been forgotten, that they're there for a purpose, and that this was God's plan. Peter, in chapter 1, verse 2, the the verse we looked at Sunday, used the concept that this was according to God's foreknowledge. And foreknowledge doesn't mean just God knew it was going to happen. That word comes from the idea and concept that there was pre-planning involved. So um, God pre-planned and knew they would be in this situation. And and Peter wants them to be comforted by this fact. On the other hand, uh, Jesus tells us that we are to, uh, quote, occupy until he comes. In Luke 19, verses uh, 12 and 13, He says, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Some some of your translations say, occupy until I come back. In other words, work as the nobleman would work. Act as he would act if he were here until I come back. Make a presence known that my influence hasn't left. So on the one hand, uh, I think we do have a responsibility to influence, be salt and light. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will highlight that. But on the other hand, I think what Peter is doing is he's encouraging them that where you are is exactly where God wanted you to be. God's got a bigger plan, and you have to trust him for that. But you don't just sit around, twiddle your thumbs, and wait for something to happen. He places you in hostile territory, and he has a purpose, an ultimate purpose for doing that. Whenever we look at a book, the audience is a very important facet. Um, So we know these are believers, but Peter is writing for a specific reason to these groups in these areas that they are exiles in there. So what is Peter trying to equip these people with? What is it that they need to know to be able to make it through these trials in these specific areas? Well, I think uh, he's going to unravel that and and, and uh, kind of unroll that scroll uh, throughout the rest of the book. But I think right off the bat, he wants them to remember their identity, who they are. And so in verses 1 and 2, that's what he's locking down, who they are. Don't forget uh, that you are chosen. He uh, he uses the term, you are God's elect. God picked you. Um, and so that raises the stakes, knowing their identity. Then he says they are, they are called. 
they're called for a purpose. He, he, you know, we use the term scattered in kind of a random usage of the term. Like you don't know where it's going, but maybe scattered's not the right word. I think from God's perspective, uh, we are placed. And he wants them to know they have a call. And if they know their identity and if they know their calling, then I think there's a tremendous amount of hope with that. So no matter where you find yourself to be, knowing your identity and knowing your calling will give you hope. And, um, you know, it's like I said in the message, we live out our lives based on who we believe that we are and who we believe God is. If we think of ourselves in, from one perspective or in, in, in one light, we will live out our lives in a completely different way than if we think of ourselves from another perspective. And I think that's what he's doing those first few verses. Now, he's going to set that up. Uh, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to look at the word or the term salvation and how he means that, which is very different from the way Paul is talking about it. Um, but I think there's a great deal of encouragement there with the concept of identity and the concept of, of calling. I think there's a great deal of encouragement, of hope. Uh, when you're kind of like on your last leg and you want to give up, I think this book encourages you to, hey, just one more day, because he, he knows we're here, he placed us here, and he has his reasons, which will become clear in eternity. And the other very important thing when we look at a book is who wrote it which sometimes, like with Hebrews, there's questions. But with this one, we believe it's Peter. And so when we look at a book that's all about calling and about purpose and about going through trials and things, to know that Peter wrote this is a very interesting thing. So what does that add to this book from our perspective now, reading it well after the fact? Yeah, I think that's very important to consider. Um, From an academic standpoint, and I know this isn't the question you're asking, but we will deal with the the hit that this book takes because of the polished Greek that it's written in. And Peter tells us that he had a secretary. He was dictating to a secretary. I know that's not the question you're asking, but the, 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 the question you're asking is just like we might doubt our identity or our call, if there was ever a person in the New Testament who doubted their call, it would have been Peter. I mean, Peter was in those tremendous moments. Uh, those he was the inner in the inner circle with Jesus. He experienced the Mount of Transfiguration. A lot of people, you know, laugh that he, he was walking on water and sank. But you know, the thought, the idea is he got out of the boat. There were, there were eleven other disciples staying in the boat. You know, in Peter we see the best and we see the the worst, denying that he knew Christ to a, a servant girl. Uh, Peter thought he was all washed up. He thought one mistake had sidelined him forever. And Jesus restores him. We, we have been to that site where they um, celebrate. There's a statue of, of Peter and uh, Jesus there. And Jesus restoring him and saying, hey, you're not done yet. So if there's anyone who knows the highs and lows, the good and the bad. The, if there's anyone who would self-doubt uh, whether God could use them, it would have been Peter. So I think he's got some things to tell us that uh, we would do well to heed. And uh, as he was encouraged to keep keep going, I think that will encourage us. It was Peter that Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom 
to. And um, those keys, I think theologically, you could say Peter was the one who opened heaven's door to the Jews on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. He uh, opened the door to the Samaritans, Acts chapter 8. And then he, uh, he opened the door to the Gentiles uh, in Acts chapter 10. And, you know, once he does that, his role is basically diminished and Paul comes on the scene. But uh, Peter knows the highs and the lows. He knows the inner circles of, uh, of what it meant to, to be with Jesus. I mean, you know, you, you think about it uh, on the night that Jesus would end up being betrayed Peter, instead of praying, fell asleep. You know, so Peter has these embarrassing moments, but he also has these tremendous victories. And um, I think it's interesting that we're studying a book from somebody who had great seats in God's unfolding drama of redemption. He had a he had a front row seat to all of that, and so he writes with conviction. He writes with an urgency, and he writes with a compassion. He knows where we've been. He sat in our seats before, and so he can deal with us in a very encouraging way. Yeah, this is one of my uh, one of my favorite lesser talked about epistles. Um, so I'm really excited for these coming weeks to to dive into this and to hear what questions people might have or what comments and how this book encourages them specifically. So thanks for going through all of that. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. <laughs>